Uh, we left off in Luke chapter 19, uh, verse 11, which was our text for Sunday. Uh, we dealt with the first two that received the mina, which is a measurement of money, but we did not deal with the third one, beginning with verse 20. So let's go back to verse uh, 11. And um, again, this is repetitive, uh, so I won't spend much time going through 11 through 19, but let's uh, at least read that section. Now, as I heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem... And because they thought the kingdom of heaven would appear immediately. Two things. This is the Lord's last trip to Jerusalem. Uh, Even though he had explained it to him many times that uh, he was going to Jerusalem to be betrayed, uh, be beaten, um, crucified, and um, buried. And then he told them straight out that he would rise again the third day. And yet, none of that computed with the disciples because it clearly tells us here they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Us having hindsight realize that it still hasn't been established. Um, Sunday is going to be a very current, up-to-date message on um, anti-Semitism and where we are in the lateness of the hour as it is one of the key signs of the uh, beginning of a war that's getting ramped up in the Middle East that we refer to as the Ezekiel 38 war. So we have at least a seven-year period of time um, before the kingdom could come. In other words, if, if the Lord would come tonight, I believe immediately after that, we have uh, the two witnesses, Um, that have a ministry for three and a half years. That's a seven-year period of time. So if the Lord would come tonight, the kingdom itself that we were referring to here, that they thought was coming then, uh, can't happen for at least, if the Lord would come tonight, for another seven years. Therefore, now he gives an explanation. Therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So this, of course, is the Lord's departure. On Sunday, we went to Ephesians 4 and explained that before he ascended, he descended. And um, when he ascended, um, it says he gave gifts to men. That's the sending of the Holy Spirit. And Sunday's message was basically the judgment seat of Christ where we will give an account of those gifts that every born-again believer possesses. If you're uh, giving your life to Christ and you're born again, then you have a gift. How you invest that gift, as we'll read here, will determine uh, your place in the kingdom. I can't stress that enough. Uh, Even though it's a small thing, and here they're even gonna call it a small thing. If you've been faithful in little, you've proven to me that I can trust you and being faithful over much. Um, so the certain nobleman is the Lord, going to a far country, him going back to heaven, uh, and then the Holy Spirit being given, and now gifts, beginning with verse 13. 
So he called 10 of his servants, delivered unto them 10 minas. Now, we discussed that this is a measurement of weight, but also a coin, and said to them, do business till I come. On Sunday, we got a little sidetracked. If you have the King James, it uses the word occupy, and uh, it is used only one other place in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul is talking to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, um, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And don't get entangled with the affairs. The word affair there is the same word for occur or do business that we have here. And the idea of this is that we're not to get entangled. Um, We have to live here, have to work. (laughs) You have to uh, pay your bills. Matter of fact, it says if you don't work, you don't eat. It's simply that, that simple. But not to give it, yourself so much to it that it consumes you. That your priority is to exercise the gifts that God has given to you, primarily when it comes to winning other people uh, to Christ. So we went and did a little study on the gifts. We went to 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says they don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. He lists out what they are. He says one isn't more important than the other. They're all necessary. Uh, the arm can't say to the eye, I have no need of you, because uh, all the parts jointly work together for one purpose. So do business until I come, or occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Um, 14 should be just taken out, not taken out, but uh, in the context of what we're reading, he's talking about Christians with gifts, not in verse 14. These are people um, that have heard the Lord but have made a conscious decision that nobody's gonna be telling them what to do. (laughs) And um, they hated him. And much of our study tonight is going to be the realization that they have no other alternative but to kill Jesus. And this is one of the first places that it arises. We will not have him rule over us. Now going back to 15, it ties in with 13, and so it was when he returned. Now this is, would be at the judgment seat of Christ, which was most of our study on Sunday. He then commanded them his servants to whom he had given the money. And he called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading, what I've been doing since I've been gone. Uh, then came the first thing, Master, your mina, has earned ten more. And he said, well done, good uh, servant, because you were faithful over a little, um, have authority over ten cities. Now our guest on Sunday from Wycliffe. Um, it was a divine appointment. I didn't get to see it until afterwards. He got to see it during his message. Um, he travels around the world and basically um, they usually tell the same stories and they usually have the same scriptures that they use. And that was the case with Sam. 
uh, whenever he goes to any church and speaks, he has two texts. One is Psalm 145. Remember, he put it up. He says, usually I like to talk about it, but we don't have time this morning. Another one, he said, I teach out of Luke chapter 19. Well, what did we read on Sunday for our psalm? Psalm 145. What was our text for Sunday? Luke chapter 19. What are the chances of that being a coincidence? None and zit. And afterwards, when we talked about it, I said, listen, brother, what you do in these last days, as the days get darker and harder, it's gonna be more and more difficult for people to um, be involved in missions and doing the work of the Lord. The Lord did this for you so that you know that we didn't get together ahead of time and say, okay, let's plan out, we'll do 145 just for you because you're here, and I will choose my text to make it Luke chapter 19 just because you're here, just to encourage you. No, the Holy Spirit did that, and he knew the Holy Spirit did that because he was beaming like a light bulb uh, explaining to me this after, after the second services. And it's good to see, you know, the, the Bible tells us that we are to make known the deeds of the Lord among the people. In other words, what I just told you was a work of the Lord. So my job is to tell you what happened. Make known the deeds of the Lord to the people. And I call them divine appointments. There's nothing that we could have manipulated or caused this to happen. And he says clearly this, he says Dwight when you were up there speaking, uh, the Holy Spirit was all over it and then you have a dove behind you on top of it. (laughs) He's not familiar with Calvary chapels. And so he um, wasn't used to the chapter by chapter and verse by verse teaching and so on. Anyway, um, he in scripture, he wants to have the Lord say to him, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over notice a very little. Tomorrow we're doing Art's funeral. Um, Art was 78, I think. And when, when it's all said and done, it's a blimp. When you're talking eternity, it's a blimp. It's a blimp on a radar. And what you do with that dash is all that matters. And um, now um, Art is home. And um, to be absent from the body is to be present with, with the Lord. Ask you to pray. We'll have a lot of people here who, who do not know the Lord. And I, I sat down with Art. I, I sort of sense um, uh, when it's a person's last time. Um, a hospice was called dead and he knew he was terminal so I remember talking to him I said Art I, let's just talk and I said uh, you're going home soon he goes yeah and I said well you tell me what's important what do you want said at your funeral and he didn't hesitate a second he says Dwight you have to preach the gospel I said Art you know that's a given <laughs> and he says yes I know that and then just that he's grateful for his family. And he wanted that expressed uh, during the service. But my point is, it's quick. You think seven days old? No. Um, I used to think 68 was old. Now I'm 68. <laughs> and I can't believe it. I mean, what happened in 68 years? I don't know. 
It's just, it's a blimp. And what uh, Ecclesiastes is, what is our life but a vapor? Um, it's a flower. It blooms for such a short time, then it's gone. And then what? Well, then we give an account. We give an account, not for your sins. The Lord says, I will never bring your sins um, before you. This is only what you've done for the Lord. And that's what the judgment seat of Christ. So the faithful over a little in verse 17 here. The second, so this, some people are given different gifts and some more than others. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five more. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. All right, now, this is as far as we went on Sunday. Uh, the last one here is, was given one. Let's read it, and I'll come back, and I'll comment on it, verse 20. And another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in my handkerchief. For I feared you, because you're an austere man, uh, you collect what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man. He's agreeing with him, and even though it's not true. Collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have uh, collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, so he's done speaking to the, to the guy, um, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10. But those that were standing around said, Master, he's already got 10. He says, For I say to you that everyone who has will be given, and from whom he does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Bring him here, uh, bring, but bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. All right, now we're going back to verse 14. So what this is telling me, and there's people that get confused with this, saying that this uh, was a Christian, a carnal Christian. Um, No, he's not even a Christian. Oh, he might call himself one. Everybody here knows somebody who knows people who claim to be Christian, and you know they're not. And this would tie in, who did not want me to reign over them. Go back to verse 14. Um, These citizens uh, saying, we will not have this man rule over us. Well, what is a Christian? Well, a Christian is somebody who's made Jesus the Lord of their life. And we talk to him about everything, acknowledging all of our ways. We're supposed to, we don't always but um, I want to do a little comparison, comparison with this first. Turn to Matthew chapter 25 because um, uh, we have the same parable. Matthew 25, pick it up in verse 24. And it's a little bit more descriptive of the punishment that is merited out here. Um, Verse 24, then he who had received the one talent, here it's called the talent instead of a, a mina, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you were um, not scattered seed. Well, no, he's not. Jesus said, come and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm lowly and meek in heart. That was the spirit of, of the Lord. 
Well, this guy obviously didn't know him. How many people out there today feel that the Lord is just waiting for them, that person is just waiting for them to make one more mistake and then (laughs) they're done for. And that was this guy's attitude. All I have to do is one more thing. They don't know God's grace and um, the long-suffering of the Lord that is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. A lot of theology in what I just said because that makes the playing field level. That means that every person is a sinner in God's eyes. And you're either a saved sinner or you're a lost sinner. And um, that's really what grace is all about. This person obviously does not know Christ. Verse 25, I was afraid, went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you can have it, it's yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back at least with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and, he, and uh, he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even in what he has will be taken away. Now, 30 is more descriptive about the punishment. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here, um, we're talking about... Um, we're talking about eternal judgment. Uh, like the rich man, the, the reality that this man will face, knowing that he didn't want the Lord to rule over him, but at least he heard the gospel. He has free will. He exercises free will not to serve. And um, the Lord's gonna come back. Nothing's gonna stop that from happening. Nothing is gonna stop Every person in this room, every person watching the live stream, myself, none of us here can stop the fact that you're going to stand before either the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian for your rewards or lack of rewards, or you're going to stand before the great white throne judgment. Now, you can say, well, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in hell. Well, when somebody tells me that, and I've said this from the pulpit before, I said, um, you're not an atheist. And they'll tell me, you can't tell me I'm not an atheist, I'm an atheist. (laughs) And I said, well, I can either believe you, which I don't, or I can believe Romans chapter one that says that because of creation, men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That because of creation, you are without excuse that you know there's a God. The fact that you want to suppress that truth, and I'll tell them that, you know there's a God. You can't walk out and see a sunset or understand the human anatomy or DNA or whatever. It goes beyond the realm of, of time and chance of creating anything. So you're not an atheist. You have to deal with that personally. But you're choosing to suppress that truth and unrighteousness so that you won't have anybody wanting to rule over you. Be honest with yourself. So when people tell me they're an atheist, I, I take them to task. <laughs> they don't usually know what to do after I get done with that one. 
But here, clearly hell is being taught. I can't um, describe the um, horrificness um, of, of eternity in outer darkness. Uh, the last thought that you remember is standing before the great white throne judgment and having say, depart from me into everlasting punishment. And um, if that doesn't scare the hell out of you, it should. Literally, it should scare the hell out of you. So that's a comparative of the parable that we just went through. Let's go back to Luke chapter 19. And um, remember this is, he's on his way to Jerusalem. The disciples' attitude is, the kingdom is about to come. No, it's not. Um, What has happened in the meantime, we'll be talking about tomorrow during the funeral, John 11, is the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And that has just happened. And now as you get in verse 28 through 44, we have what we call a triumphal entry. This would have been the final week. Um, We're heading up to Passover where he would be killed as a Passover lamb. So let's read, and I will uh, go down to verse, oh, I'll stop after the verse 31. And when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem. No matter if you come from the north, south, east, or west, you're always going up. And it came to pass when he came near to Bethage and Bethany, that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus actually were, at the mountain called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village opposite you, where you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever sat on, loose him and bring him here. Uh, And if anybody asks you, why are you loosening him, just say to him, because the Lord has need of him. Now, we don't know what went on before this. Maybe the Lord had been in Jerusalem before. Maybe he knew this guy. Maybe the guy said, hey, look, if you ever need to use my donkey, just, you know, it's yours. Just come and ask for it. Maybe that was it. Um, Maybe there was no correspondence at all between the owner and the Lord. But the Lord just spoke to the guy when the disciples showed up. We don't know. Just what the scriptures tell us here. So uh, they sent and departed and found it just as the Lord had told them. And as they were loosening the colt, the owner of the colt said to them, why are you loosening the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own garments on, on the colt and they sat Jesus on him. Now, uh, this, if you're taking notes, um, fulfills Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9, which I'm going to turn and read to you. I, uh, some things I, I think we can't repeat um, enough on how to study the Old Testament and how you have to be prepared for the Holy Spirit to be in the middle of saying something to Israel and then stopping between sentences and throw out a prophecy of something that's going to happen in the future. Such is the case in Zechariah um, 
chapter 9, which is basically uh, the judgment of the surrounding nations. In verse 9 is a prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, having salvation, lowly, in other words, humbly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, that happened 2,000 years ago. It doesn't say that, okay, now there's going to be a gap of 2,000 years. But there is a gap of 3,000 years between verses 9 and 10. It doesn't explain it to us. It's just a fact. We have the advantage of hindsight looking back. So in verse 10 it says, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and, and the battle bull shall be cut off. He will speak to the nations and his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. Clearly, the Lord reigning, like the disciples thought, if you go back now to Luke 19, um, and again look at uh, verse 11, the disciples thought that the kingdom would appear immediately. Well, Zechariah, in verse nine, was speaking of what we just read. This is being fulfilled. What we just read from verse 28 uh, to verse 35 is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. Verse 10 will not be um, fulfilled until the Lord does establish his kingdom after the tribulation. So now in verse 36, uh, as he went, they spread their clothes on the road. Then as they now were drawing near the descent of olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Remember, Lazarus had just been risen from the dead And what it tells us there is because of that, there were many Jews that were there that believed because they knew Lazarus was dead. And so there was a buzz, believe me, going through Jerusalem. What had just happened? And so the multitudes are gathering and um, they quote, they're sure that only God could do this. So they become persuaded that Jesus is indeed the Jewish Messiah. So being a Jew, um, knowing many of them, uh, knowing their prophecies, uh, began to quote Psalm 118. Now we're going to be there on Sunday. Um, I'll just allude to it here and say that this is the second Old Testament prophecy that's going to be fulfilled this day. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now that's Psalm 118. Um, Also in Psalm 118 it says, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Um, This is the day that the Lord has made and we'll rejoice and be glad in it. They didn't realize how complicated and the extent of the the, the, complexity consistency and how complicated this prophecy is that was being quoted. They knew part of it. 
And so they're quoting part of it that they understood. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The people believed Jesus was the Messiah. And the Pharisees, and um, uh, they knew it all too well. Because in verse 39, some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And why rebuke them? Because they actually think you're the Messiah. Set them straight. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these would keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. You see, this was the day that the Lord had made. The only day that Jesus openly allowed himself to be worshipped. What was the usual case? Go and tell no man. They get healed. Okay, go, don't go and tell anybody. Uh, your faith has made you whole. Okay, go away now. That was the, the way that it went. Not this time. This is c- completely and totally different. Not only does he say, does he accept the worship, but he says it has to happen because this is the fulfillment of Psalm 118 and this is the day that it was talking about where I would be received as the Messiah in Israel. So he tells them, I'm sorry, I can't rebuke them because it's written. And if it's written, it has to happen. Now that's a good place for an amen. Gang, you gotta get this down no matter what, under any circumstances. No matter what your heart tells you, no matter what your head tells you, if you're finding yourself in conflict with, with the book, you're wrong, the Bible's right. Another good place for an amen. You're wrong, the Bible's right. So who's wrong here? The Pharisees. Uh, they, sure, they were sure they were right. But the Lord said, sorry, I can't do it. You see, it's written. And I can't undo what is, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word. That's gonna come to pass, and there's nothing. To the jot and the tittle, that's like you say, the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. You can't take that out of the scriptures. It has to happen. So, now a big emotional change from this receiving the adoration, the praises, the hosannas, we go from that to the Lord weeping, knowing all too well the fickleness of human beings. He knows what's gonna happen on Passover. So he says, as he drew near the city, he saw the city and he wept over it. Um, tomorrow I'll make mention that, that um, Jesus wept over Lazarus's death. And I really can't tell you why. I don't know if it was a lack of of um, him being disappointed with, with Mary and Martha. I said, Dwight, you really think he'd be disappointed over Mary and Martha? I knew he was disappointed over the disciples quite a few times. And he rebuked them openly. He said, where's your faith? I told you, we're going to the other side. This little storm, that's nothing. He says, where is your faith? And he sharply re- re- rebuked them. So that could have been the reason. But then again, the Bible says we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice, amen? So they just lost their brother. And so maybe that's why the Lord was weeping. I don't know, but I think it's one of the two. Anyway, he began to explain it to them as if they should have known. He said, oh, if you had only known, even you especially in this, your day. Now he's he's going back to Daniel, 
chapter nine, verse 24, talking about the day that the Messiah would be revealed. Oh, if you had only known in this your day the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden for your eyes. Now the consequences for not knowing. So this is, this is a good exhortation for the church today. Um, so I knew it will be a good example. I want to be on the cutting edge informing um, those that are fellowshipping here and on live stream. Um, Satan's game plan from Genesis to Revelation has been to annihilate the Jewish people. And why? And uh, exponentially, anti-Semitism has been on the rise over just the last couple of months for that better, much less the last couple of years. And so we'll be talking about that um, and, and laying out history. Um, the times, full-out attempts to completely annihilate the Jewish people. Why? And for what pers- purpose? Does that tease you just a little bit? Hopefully. <laughs> he said, for the, now because you did not, it's hidden from your eyes, now the consequences for not knowing. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave one stone upon another. And then it uses the word because. He's talking about the Roman legions coming down in 70 AD. He's prophesying here. We've already had two prophecies being fulfilled. Now the Lord is giving a prophecy This was fulfilled in 70 AD and he gives the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem because you did not know the time of your visitation. Again, the implication is they should have been studying Daniel chapter nine. They should have known when that command went forth, Nehemiah chapter two. And they should have been doing the math, realizing that um, that command from Nehemiah from Ahasuerus was on March 14th, 445 BC, and then 173,880 days later, they should have been looking for this day, a day when the Messiah would be riding a donkey, clue number one. They'd be singing Psalm 118, clue number two. The Pharisees should have been all over it. They should have known the Bible, they should have known Daniel, they should have known Nehemiah, And this date was April 632 AD. This your day. This is the day. And, uh, but because you didn't, now the consequences are going to be um, the destruction of Jerusalem. It's a fact of history. And um, they have been out of the land for 2,000 years. This is their 71st year back in the land since 1948. All right, there's much we could say about that except uh, let's finish off chapter 19, which tells us that he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. And he said, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. If you're taking notes, he's quoting Isaiah um, uh, chapter 56, verse 7. He's also quoting Jeremiah chapter seven, verse 11. Again, it is written. And basically, the exchange rate and the money collectors, they were on the take, 
And the overseers of that were the religious leaders. They had a cut of you could only, if you're going to the temple, you had to have a temple shekel. And let's say you came from one of the other surrounding countries and you were Jewish. You had to exchange your currency. Uh, they would up the, uh, the money so that they would make a profit out of it. And, um, um, you know, this so incensed the Lord um, that he says, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. You've, you've turned it into all you're really concerned about isn't the temple or the people praying, but that you're gonna get a cut of the action when you exchange your money into the temple shekel, which was unique. It was a unique form of currency. And he was teaching this, this verse 47 you want to underline because it becomes the theme until they actually kill him. He was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. That's all they can take. They can take no more. Way too much popularity. He's got to go. So now, beginning with chapter 20, he's, they're going to be looking on how can we trap him? How can we get him so that we can bring accusation? And they were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. And it's true today. It says the common man heard him gladly. The only ones that were threatened by him was a, the religious hierarchy because of their position. All right, chapter 20, we're gonna look into, we'll see how far we get. Uh, We'll deal with uh, the Lord's authority as challenged. We'll have the parable of the vineyard, which is our text for Sunday. Jesus' question about paying tribute to Caesar. Um, The Lord will silence the Sadducees about the resurrection. And Jesus questions the scribes. So let's see how far we get, verses one through eight. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? In other words, who do you think you are? Or who is he who gave you this authority? And he said to them, well, um, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. Um, This is answering, it's it's, um, uh, referred to here as um, sort of a a Socrates method of having, answering a question with a question. They were asking a question, so the Lord says, okay, me first. I'll ask you a question. If you answer mine, I'll answer yours. So he said the baptism of John. Was it from heaven or was it from men? And they reasoned among themselves. In other words, they got into a huddle. They weren't expecting that one coming. And they said, if we say from heaven, well, he's gonna say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, well, all the people will stone us for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. Jesus said he was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He said that John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. So they answered and said, we don't know. We're not sure. And the Lord says, and neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love it. (laughs) You guys don't want to talk? Fine. 
I don't want to talk to you either. And, um, you know, uh, this was spoken like the true hypocrites these men um, were as they um, try to pin the Lord down. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about verses 9 through 18 because we'll be going through it verse by verse on, on Sunday and uh, quite a few cross-references to go along with it. But let's read it, uh, picking it up, the parable of the vineyard. Notice that it's very similar to the parable of the ten mina. It starts out exactly the same. Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to, to his vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Go back to chapter 19, verse 11. Now when he heard these things, he spoke another parable. Certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. So it starts out very much the same. And um, of course, it's a picture um, of the Lord now returning. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Now we know He's referring to the Old Testament prophets at this point because we're going to get to the point after they're done killing all the prophets. The one that's probably suffered the most was Isaiah and Jeremiah. Um, Imagine having one message your whole life. You guys uh, need to capitulate to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. You're going to be there for 70 years, whether you like it or not. End of message. End of discussion. That's it. That was his message. And uh, we'll go into the details of what they did to him because of that message. They didn't like it. Um, So the Lord would send another prophet. Verse 11. Again, he sent another servant. Now I'll use the word prophet. And they beat him, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. So, again, he sent a third. And they wounded him and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I know. I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, Ah, there's the heir. Let's kill him. Go back to verse 47 of chapter 19. And it says, And the people sought to destroy him. And now he's aware of that. So he's bringing it out, and he's addressing this parable to, if you go down to verse 19, let's skip ahead so you'll, know exactly what the Lord is doing here. Verse 19 says, and the chief priest and the scribes from that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people for they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. So the whole purpose of the parable of the vineyard is telling it in story form, but they know that Jesus is clearly pointing the finger at these um, re- religious um, hypocrites. So, verse 14, but when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, he's the heir, let's kill him, that we might inheritance might be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard, and they did kill him. Therefore, what will the owner or the father of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. 
And when they heard this, they said, certainly not. That's not going to happen to us. And then he looked at them and said, well then, what then is this that is written? Now, this is these, one of the treats of studying the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse is you see how the Holy Spirit turns things around. And unless you're reading carefully here, you're not going to pick up on it. And he's going to take Psalm 118, which they told Jesus to rebuke his followers. They were quoting Psalm 118. And he, the, the, the religious leaders are saying, rebuke them. They're quoting Psalm 118. So what does the Lord do here? He quotes Psalm 118 (laughs) against them. Talk about turning the tables. And he said, okay, if that's the case, they say certainly not. Well, what then is, is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And I have a very interesting story about something like that actually happening physically in the building of the temple. Again, it's a teaser for Sunday. Verse 18, he's laying it on the line with them by saying whoever falls on a stone will be broken and whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And there were those Jewish leaders like Nicodemus, like those who got saved after the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, they were broken by what? The stone. Now, when I say the stone coming down and breaking something, what should come to your mind is Daniel chapter two and the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And then Daniel explaining to Nebuchadnezzar that these are all, this image is all different kingdoms that would rule the entire world, starting with Babylon, going to the Medo-Persians, going to um, Alexander the Great, going to Rome, And then speaking about one that is yet future, uh, the one world government that we see on uh, um, coming very, very shortly. And then Daniel is telling the dream, the interpretation to King Nebuchadnezzar because none of his guys could do it. And it says, out of nowhere came a stone cut without hands, smote the image and it disintegrated and it became like dust in the wind. Yes, I know, I just quoted a song. (laughs) And it was gone. And um, you see the stone, you can have one of two relationships with Jesus Christ, the rock. And that is, you can be broken and you can agree with him that there's none good, no, not none. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You need a savior. You don't deserve it, but he loves you anyway. And you can humble yourself and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Or you can be like those in verse 14. We will not have this man rule over us. No way. Nobody's going to tell me what to do or how to do it for that matter. Well, in that case, the stone is going to fall on you someday. And it's going to break you whether you like it or not. My Bible says every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess. Even the ones who say they're atheists. And um, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And nothing's going to change that too. Uh, Verse 18, whoever falls on it. And that's just 
again, a broken person coming to the Lord. Um, I don't believe that's the Lord's first choice. I think the preaching of the gospel, hearing the good news, comprehending it, and then understanding God would do that for me, that's incredible. And it's the goodness of the Lord that leads men to repentance. But that's, I don't believe the majority, how the majority of people actually get saved. I believe we're full of self. I think we're arrogant. I think we're proud. And unless we're knocked down to size, like the Apostle Paul on his way to Damascus, knocked off our high horse and blinded for a while and slapped up a little bit, that uh, we don't come to our senses. What about the prodigal? Hey, he wanted to, he wanted to party hardy, and so he did, till he was broken, till he ended up in a pig pen, and he came to his senses. He goes, this is crazy. I'm starving, and my dad's servants are eating great. I'm gonna go home and repent. Tell dad I'm sorry. And most of us are prodigals and have come to the Lord that way. Not all. But verse 18 only gives you two options. He's a stone. There's no alternatives. Um, There's no other religion. Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses. uh, Fill in the blank. Um, The Lord is the only stone. And you have one of two options with him. And um, we're at our time, so with that tonight, if you're here or if you're watching and you've never done this, be certain of two things. You will stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ someday as a saved sinner and rewards will be given. But if you choose to be among those who will say, I'm not gonna have anybody, I'm gonna call the shots, nobody's gonna be telling me what to do. And you reject the gospel, the gospel is simple, that he is going to Calvary. In just a couple days, it'll be Passover, and they will kill him. And he's fulfilling now the Old Testament Passover lamb, a lamb that's blood was shed so that death could pass over. And that's what happens to you and I. Um, the two options, the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Who knows how many more days we have to tell people about the Lord? We're told to redeem the time. Amen? Why? Why should we redeem the time? What's the rest of it? Because the time is short. And it's getting shorter. So let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, again, we want to thank you for your word. I love, Lord, how people who try to mess with your mind, the creator of the mind, how you put them in their place. And Lord, that nothing uh, can stop your word from being fulfilled. And Heavenly Fathers, we continue to study through the scriptures. As we do, may we become more and more confident of the certainty, of the finality, of the sureness of the word of God, that it cannot be undone. We're so grateful that you gave it to us. And so, Lord, as we go out tonight, I pray we're we're a little bit more refreshed, a little bit more knowledgeable of your ways and your purposes and your nature. 
So uh, dismiss us in your peace. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said. Amen, amen and amen. And it's gonna break you whether you like it or not. My Bible says every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Even the ones who say they're atheists and um, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And nothing's gonna change that too. Uh, Verse 18, whoever falls on it. And that's just, again, a broken person coming to the Lord. Um, I don't believe that's the Lord's first choice. I think the preaching of the gospel, hearing the good news, comprehending it, and then understanding God would do that for me, that's incredible. And it's the goodness of the Lord that leads men to repentance. But that's, I don't believe the major, how the majority of people actually get saved. I believe we're full of self. I think we're arrogant. I think we're proud. And unless we're knocked down to size, like the Apostle Paul on his way to Damascus, knocked off our high horse and blinded for a while and slapped up a little bit, that uh, we don't come to our senses. What about the prodigal? Hey, he wanted, to, he wanted to party hardy, and so he did, till he was broken, till he ended up in a pig pen, and he came to his senses. He goes, this is crazy. I'm starving, and my dad's servants are eating great. I'm gonna go home and repent. Tell dad I'm sorry. And most of us are prodigals and have come to the Lord that way. Not all, but verse 18 only gives you two options. He's a stone, there's no alternatives, Um, there's no other religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, fill in the blank. Um, The Lord is the only stone and you have one of two options with him. And um, we're at our time, so with that tonight, if you're here or if you're watching and you've never done this, be certain of two things. You will stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ someday as a saved sinner and rewards will be given. But if you choose to be among those who will say, I'm not gonna have anybody, I'm gonna call the shots, nobody's gonna be telling me what to do. And you reject the gospel. The gospel is simple, that he is going to Calvary. In just a couple days it'll be Passover and they will kill him. And he's fulfilling now the Old Testament Passover lamb. A lamb that's blood was shed so that death could pass over. And that's what happens to you and I. Um, The two options, the stone will be broken, but whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Who knows how many more days we have to tell people about the Lord? We're told to redeem the time. Amen? Why? Why should we redeem the time? What's the rest of it? Because the time is short. And it's getting shorter. So let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, again, we want to thank you for your word. I love, Lord, how people who try to mess with your mind, the creator of the mind, how you put them in their place. And 
Lord, that nothing uh, can stop your word from being fulfilled. And Heavenly Father, as we continue to study through the scriptures, as we do, may we become more and more confident of the certainty, of the finality, of the sureness of the word of God, that it cannot be undone. We're so grateful that you gave it to us. And so, Lord, as we go out tonight, I pray we're we're a little bit more refreshed, a little bit more knowledgeable of your ways and your purposes and your nature. So uh, dismiss us in your peace. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said. Amen. Amen and amen.